0: So we turn now to uh, our main scripture reading for this morning, and you can find that in Genesis chapter 32. So Genesis chapter 32, and as we prepare to hear God's word being read and then preached, uh, let me lead us in a prayer and ask God by his spirit to speak to us and enable us to receive his word by faith. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are indeed a most happy God, and we thank you that in your immense kindness you sent your own dear Son to bear our sins and our sorrows so that we could be made happy with you again forever. And our Father, we want to say thank you for your word, and particularly this book of Genesis, uh, which so honestly uh, opens up for us our own state as human beings, and your own wonderful salvation. And we pray, our Father, now as we consider and hear your word being read and preached, that you would indeed um, speak to us again afresh, and may your word be heard by us, Lord. And would it uh, find root in our hearts and flourish there, and might it help us to grow up in your salvation and send us away from here to serve you with renewed joy joy and vigor. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Genesis chapter 32. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Parts of it I'll read fairly quickly because we're not going to be looking at this chapter very closely this morning. So let's hear God's word. Genesis chapter 32. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Manahim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, said to me return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant for with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps please deliver me from the hand of my brother from the hand of Esau for I fear him that he may come and attack me the mother's with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night. And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is God's word. Amen. Well, we are going to attempt something ambitious uh, this morning. Your minister has asked me to give you something of a map or an introduction to the second half of Genesis, which I believe you're going to be looking at over the coming weeks on Sunday mornings. Um, And as I've been looking at this, I realized if we're going to talk about the second half of Genesis, we really need to remember the first half of Genesis So, I'm going to attempt this morning to preach to you on the whole of the book of Genesis. I'm going to attempt to do that in 20 or 25 minutes or so. Now, I say preach to you because this isn't going to be a lecture. This is going to be, I hope, a sermon. I'm going to attempt to give you God's word as we find it in the whole of the book of Genesis, not just a a verse or a chapter, but across the whole book. Clearly, we're going to be covering a lot of ground this morning, Um, but I hope this will be enjoyable for us, uh, because it is a wonderful story. And boys and girls, I hope that you'll you'll enjoy this too, and you'll be able to uh, follow along fairly well, because actually this story is one that's familiar to all of us, because this is the story of a family. This book of Genesis is family history. Ten times in the book of Genesis, we get a phrase, these are the generations of the generations of Abraham, Seth, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And when we get those, uh, those mentions of the gen- generations, we get little lists of the family tree. And so you can think of the book of Genesis as basically an extended family tree. But in that family tree, we get lots and lots of stories sort of stuck on, if you like, to parts of the family tree. And so overall, as we read this book of Genesis, we are getting family history. And we all know, don't we, that family history is important. Whenever you find out something about your own family history, it's very rarely boring, is it? And particularly if, if you find some of the skeletons uh, in the closet of your family, which most families do have, you, that really puts the lights on, doesn't it? It helps you to understand often the way things are in your family. Boys and girls, as you get older, you'll probably want to know um, more about your mum and dad and how they met, or your grandparents and what they used to do for jobs. And, and you'll find that very interesting because our families shape us. Uh, we've been thinking a lot over the past couple of days about the royal family. We're aware of the legacy, the history of the royal family and some of the, the issues that the royal family has had. and We all know how much that impacts them and our whole society. Well, today, we are going to hear about a royal family too. This story of the family in Genesis—it's the story of a royal family. It's the family of the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but even more than that, it is also a story of our family. We're going to be hearing over the next while, as we look at Genesis, of our roots, of our history. And this is, to be honest, a family history where the skeletons are all out of the closet, and we get to see. Um, uh, all the, all the bad and the good about our family history. Two big things overall I think we'll see. We'll see a, a family that God has promised to bless, and we'll see a family that is constantly addicted to lies. And that sets up a conflict for us, as well as for the people we read about. Are we going to be people who put our faith in God's promises of blessing, or are we going to follow the path of lies. Well, to see that, won't you come back with me to the very beginning of this story, to the deep origins of our family history, and to the opening chapters of Genesis. There we find that the world was created by Almighty God, with humanity at the very center of things. We are made from the dust of the ground like the animals, but we were made like the angels to know God, and directly to serve him with everything else under our feet. And we find that this world that we live in is a world of blessing, a world in which God speaks, and life, love, fruitfulness, fellowship, peace, and joy spring into existence. And We learn in the opening chapters of Genesis that that this world of blessing is an ordered world, a structured world, um, if you're somebody who does DIY or joinery, you'll know how important it is for joints and pieces of wood to be trued. If, something's, if that, something's not smooth, if something's not aligned, then that will cause the whole structure to come out of joint, won't it? Everything in God's world as it was created, this world, was trued. It was lined up. It was all perfectly structured, and so it was a good world. But then we learn in Genesis chapter 3, But the serpent came in with words that were not true. They were not in line with reality. They were lies. The serpent said that the God of all this blessing was not good. He said that if we wanted to be blessed as human beings, we should essentially try to remove God and exalt ourselves to the highest place. And our first parents believed that lie. And so they became untrue. A great rip opened up in our family. We literally tore ourselves apart as we believed the lie. And so, being no longer true, we had to go away into exile, away from the world of blessing, and out, away from God's presence, into a cursed world, a world of death instead of life, a world of hatred instead of love, a world of difficulty instead of fruitfulness, a world of enmity instead of fellowship. A world of disharmony instead of peace. And a world of despair instead of joy. And brothers and sisters, don't we know that this is the world that we live in? A world where, yes, we can be happy for a time, but it doesn't last. A world where the weeds are constantly threatening to choke the flowers. A world where sin and death stalk on every side. But amazingly, as we went out into this world, God gave us a promise that things would one day be put right. And wonderfully, he said he would put things right, not by going around fallen, sinful, broken humanity, despite the mess we'd made, but through a human being. God promised that he would put things right through our family. God said that a man like us, a seed of the woman, boys and girls, you know this, would come and crush the serpent's head. Well, that's Genesis chapter 3. But fast forward hundreds of years now to Genesis chapter 12. And we find there God calling a man who lives far away from him and gives him these promises of blessing. And we're talking here, of course, about Abraham. And we can think of Abraham as the founder. Of God's family. He is the founder of God's family. God promises to Abraham that his family will grow like the sand on the seashore, like the stars in the heavens, and his family will be a blessing to the whole world. God again will speak words of blessing and life will be restored. One of Abraham's children will be that conquering king, the seed of the woman. And Abraham's wonderful Uh, Because he shows us what we should do as God's people with these promises. And what should we do with them? Abraham shows us we should believe them. Do you remember how God took Abraham out and showed him the sky at night? He said, count the stars if you can. And he said, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord. And it was counted to him for righteousness. Well, there were lots of reasons for Abraham not to believe those promises. They were so big, so supernatural, only God could do them. He was constantly tempted, we find in Genesis, with impatience, with pride, wanting to bring these promises about now in his own strength. And he was constantly tempted, too, by weakness and fear to lie and follow the path of the devil. But overall, we'd have to say that Abraham was a man of great faith. And then he shows us um, as the founder of this family that we are a family of faith, a family who put our trust in God's promises. So Abraham encourages us to take our eyes off ourselves if we want to be blessed and to cling to God's word alone, his promise for blessing. So that's something of the story of Genesis so far. Now we move on now to, to looking ahead and we'd we first of all come across Isaac, Abraham's son, who doesn't actually get very much attention in the biblical story. The focus instead moves on to Abraham's grandson, Jacob. And if Abraham is, if you like, the founder of God's family, we can think of Jacob as being more like the child of the family, the broken child of the family. We first meet Jacob, don't we, in his mother's womb, where he is wrestling and struggling with his older brother Esau and all through his life, Jacob was a scrapper. But eventually, he, the younger brother, gets the promise of God's blessing, this family inheritance that is passed down from Abraham, these promises, this heirloom. He is going to be the one who's blessed. But how does he get that promise? By telling a lie. He follows the path of the serpent to get God's blessing. And so, he's not right. He's not true. He has to leave the family home. Like Adam and Eve, he has to go away into exile. He has to run away from his older brother Esau. But the amazing thing is about this is that as Jacob has to leave home, God goes with him by his presence into exile. You know the story, I'm sure of how Jacob, tired as he is as he's fleeing from his brother Esau, lays down and sleeps for a while on a stone pillow. He lies there with his head on a rock. And as he does so, he has a vision of a stairway up into heaven and the angels of God descending and ascending on his head. And God promises that he will be with him to bless him. And so he was. Jacob goes into exile for 14 long years working as a kind of a slave, really, to his uncle Laban. He has to work night and day to purchase Laban's daughters as his bride, Leah and Rachel. But in all of this, God is working with Jacob, changing him, transforming him. God allows the trickster Jacob to be tricked by his uncle Laban so he knows what it is to be sinned against and what, how bad sin is. God makes Jacob work his, win his wages by the sweat, of the sweat of his brow, through honest, hard work. And God blesses Jacob with children, uh, 11 sons uh, and a daughter, and then eventually a 12th son. And they become the 12 tribes of Israel. And we saw in our passage that God blesses Jacob with flocks, camels, donkeys, herds, servants oxen. And eventually God brings Jacob back home, now much enriched, much enlarged, and very much changed. But none of this comes easy to Jacob. But I want to suggest that in all of it, God is sanctifying Jacob. Jacob I think of as like a jagged piece of wood, a piece of wood that needs to be smoothed out by the Lord if he's going to fit into God's purposes. And um, the term that we would use for this, smoothing out, taking away our sin, making us more uh, the way that God intends us to be, we call that sanctification, don't we? So Abraham, if he gives us, above all, a picture of somebody who puts his trust in God's promises and is made righteous by faith, counted righteous by faith, justified by faith, Jacob particularly gives us a picture of somebody who believes those promises, who is counted righteous by faith, but then shows us more and more how God works with him, sanctifying him, smoothing him out. This is what we see, I think, in a nutshell here in this chapter that we read in Genesis chapter 32. Jacob here is on his way home, back to his family uh, land and his people. But he hears that Esau, his angry older brother, is ahead of him. And so Jacob sends his family and his possessions ahead of him as a sort of a gift to try and sort of smooth the way to to Esau. And that means that Jacob is now left alone again, stripped of all his possessions, bare, naked, if you like, just himself before the Lord. And a man comes to him to wrestle with him in the middle of the night. And they wrestle all night long. And Jacob will not let this man go. The man eventually dislocates Jacob's hip But Jacob still clings on. And eventually the man says, let's pick up the story, verse 26. He says, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So Jacob clings on so tenaciously to this man because he recognizes that he's in some way a representative of God, an angel or the angel of the Lord. And in fact, that's really Jacob's whole life in a nutshell, wrestling with God, striving with God and with men because he is convinced that only God, only God can bless him so he clings on. And so he is blessed. He's renamed Israel, one of the great names of God's people, a great name of the church. We are the Israel of God, now much expanded with the nations coming in. But did you notice at the end of the story, there's this odd bit, isn't there? We find Jacob uh, goes away from this scene walking with a limp because his, his hip's been dislocated. And Jacob always now walks with a limp. And and clearly this is significant. We're told that Old Testament Israel didn't eat the sinew of the thigh because they remembered this incident that Jacob had his hip dislocated. So what does it mean? I think it is a reminder for us that however much God smooths us out, however much progress we may make in our sanctification, we will always walk with a limp we will always have a sinful, fallen human nature that we have to wrestle with and strive with if we want to walk in God's way. And so, so you see, Jacob, he's, he's a wonderful picture of God's people. He's the, the child of the family, like us. The broken child of the family. We always walk with a limp. Jacob's family, it's the story of Israel, isn't it? we They go, Israel... Israel, Jacob's descendants, will go into exile in Babylon because of their sin. But God will go with them, just as he went with Jacob, and refine them and bring them back to await their king. And really, Jacob's story is the story of all God's people, isn't it? We have all been exiled from paradise because of our sin. But God has not given up on us. In his kindness, he has sent his own son into our world to justify us, to sanctify us, and to bring us back to him, much enriched. So I hope, um, brothers and sisters, as you uh, go through these chapters in Genesis over the coming weeks, you'll, you'll recognize Jacob as a type of Christ, certainly as a picture of Christ, but perhaps especially as a picture of us, God's broken people, people who believe God's promises, but who need always to be smoothed out by God. And I think as we do that, we'll see a wonderful picture of how God does that, how God makes this crooked boy into a man after his own heart. But I want to suggest, um, even today, there's something we can learn from Jacob. Sometimes I think we look down on Jacob a bit. We kind of think of him as the liar, the trickster, the cheat. And he was that. But so are we, aren't we? but there's something about Jacob that is hugely admirable. And it's this hunger that he has to cling on to God, to not let God go until God blesses him. He's really got a hunger, hasn't he, for God in the midst of all of his life. That's the constant. He wants God's blessing. Brothers and sisters, I think we can learn from that, can't we? May we have households and may we have hearts that are as hungry as Jacob's were to receive God's blessing. Well, in the time that we have this morning, I don't have time to say very much about the last section of uh, the book of Genesis. Um, I just want to point to it, really, the story of Joseph. Um, If Abraham is the sort of founder of God's family through faith in the promise, and if Jacob pictures for us the sanctification of the children of God as they battle with sin, Joseph, I think, represents for us the future of God's family, the one who will put things right, the promised king. Jacob's sons turn out to be pretty much like their dad at his worst, really. They're full of lies. And so they can't stand Joseph, their young brother, who always tells the truth. And so they sell him into slavery. But they tell their father that he's been killed by wild animals. And really, they're just showing, aren't they, at this point, how enslaved they are to sin. But Joseph, rejected by his brothers, goes down to Egypt. And there in Egypt, he's rejected again uh, and goes down into Pharaoh's prison, literally into the pit. But even in Pharaoh's pit, Joseph always tells the truth. And because he tells the truth, eventually he is raised up to to Pharaoh's right hand. And there, can you believe it? One of Abraham's great-grandchildren is in a position to bless the nations. A famine comes and strikes the whole world around Egypt. And so the nations come to Egypt to be fed from Joseph's vast store of food. And Joseph's brothers come too. Only they don't just come to receive food from Joseph. They come and they eventually receive forgiveness from Joseph. And so you can see, can't you, that Genesis ends with a really wonderful picture of the future of God's family, the promised king that we have been waiting for ever since we were evicted from paradise. Genesis ends by showing us something of the seed of the woman, the promised seed, who is also the truth of God in the flesh, the word of God in the flesh, the one who was rejected by men and went down into the pit, but yet always, always, always remained true to God, his heavenly father, and who was raised up by God to glory and honor at God's right hand in heaven. And that is where our king is now, given power to bless the nations, forgiving us of our sin and giving us eternal life. So, brothers and sisters, in Genesis, the word of God, I think, encourages us. Don't believe the lies, no matter how tempting they are. Don't think that God can't bless us and make us like the stars in heaven. Don't be tempted to try and do this yourself. Don't be tempted through impatience and pride to think that we can bring God's blessing through our own strength. And brothers and sisters, don't be tempted though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea. Don't be tempted by fear to fall into the path of the devil's lies. Instead, brothers and sisters, let us cling on tenaciously to our family inheritance through faith. Let's cling on to God's word of blessing, a word that is established and made sure through Jesus Christ King. And so to him be glory with the Father and with the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. Well, we come before God with our prayers of intercession. Let us pray.